gun. Chair, staff is ready when you are. Thank you very much. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the June 22nd, 2023 uh, meeting of the Planning and Design Commission. Uh, we will call the meeting to order. Um, clerk, will you please establish a quorum? Thank you, Chair. Commissioner Zhang? Here. Commissioner Chase? Here. Commissioner Lamas? Here. Commissioner Buckley? Here. Commissioner Caden? Here. Commissioner Masius Reed is currently absent. Commissioner Young? Here. Commissioner Wallace? Here. Commissioner Boyd is currently absent. And Chair Hernandez? Here. Thank you. We have quorum. Thank you very much. We'll start off by reminding members of the public and in the chambers if you would like to speak on an agenda item to please turn in a speaker slip when your item begins. For members of the public who wish to join virtually, please refer to the agenda for the Zoom link. And once you've joined the meeting and wish to speak, raise your hand to provide public comment when the chair confirms the public comment speaking period for your desired item. If you are online, click on raise hand at the bottom of your screen. In the mobile app, you can raise your hand by tapping the raise hand option in the more tab. And if you're calling in by telephone to raise your hand, dial star nine. Then to unmute or mute yourself, dial star six. Speakers will be called upon by the last four digits of their phone number. Um, everyone will have three minutes to uh, speak once you're called upon. And after the first speaker, we will no longer accept speaker slips and the raise hand feature on Zoom will be disabled. We'll now proceed to, with today's agenda. If you'll please rise for the land acknowledgement. Please rise for the opening acknowledgments in honor of Sacramento's indigenous people tribal, and tribal lands. To the original people of this land, to the Nisenan people, the Southern Maidu, Valley and Plains Miwok, Putwin Wintun peoples, and the people of Wilton Rancheria, Sacramento's only federally recognized tribe. May we acknowledge and honor the native people who came before us and still walk beside us today on these ancestral lands by choosing to gather today in the active practice of acknowledgement and appreciation for Sacramento's indigenous people's history, contributions, and lives. Thank you. Please remain standing for the uh, Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. You may be seated. We'll start off with the director's report. So for that, I will pass it over to Stacia. Thank you, Chair. At City Council this past Tuesday, on June 20th, uh, the Council approved the Crocker Village Flex Zone project. This was a schematic plan amendment to allow residential within the particular site in the Crocker Village um, plan unit development. This project was recommended approval, or Commission recommended approval of this project back in September of last year. So there were a number of commissioners that weren't on the Commission at that time, but I wanted to make sure to mention it just in case any of you are following it. Um, and then just um, to let you know that we only have one meeting, a reminder, we only have one meeting in July. It will be July 27th, and we will be having that meeting. So thank you. Thank you very much, Stacia. Next, we have the consent calendar. We have two items on the consent calendar today. First is the approval of the minutes from our June 8th meeting, and then also we have a non-controversial item, which is um, a request from staff to review uh, the, for general plan consistency related to the Sacramento Area Sewer District's uh, proposal to dispose of real par prop 
dispose of real property for surplus purposes. Um, so I'm looking for a second, excuse me, a motion and a second from commissioners. Do we? Uh, excuse me, one second. First, we'll go to public comments. Are there any matters, uh, members of the public who wish to speak on this item? Thank you, Chair. I have no speaker slips from those in chambers, and I have no hands raised online. Thank you very much. We'll close public comment period, and I see Vice Chair Wallace has her hand raised. I'd like to make a motion. Great. We have a motion by Vice Chair Wallace. I see Commissioner Caden. Second. A motion and a second. Clerk, will you please call the roll? Thank you, Chair. Commissioner Zhang? Aye. Commissioner Chase? Aye. Commissioner Lamas? Aye. Commissioner Buckley? Aye. Commissioner Caden? Aye. Commissioner Masius Reed is absent. Commissioner Young? Aye. Commissioner Wallace? Aye. Commissioner Boyd is absent. And Chair Hernandez? Aye. Oh, excuse Thank me. Abstain, because I was absent for the last meeting. Thank you. Thank you. The motion passes. Thank you very much. We'll now move on to public hearings. This is item number three, Dutch Brothers at Elder Creek Road, P22-024. Uh, members of the commission, any disclosures or recusals? Hearing and seeing none, we'll move on to the staff report, uh, staff presentation. We have Angel Anguiano. Angel, whenever you're ready. Project before you uh, this evening is a request to uh, construct a 3,207 square foot building and associated improvements with deviations to minimum parking requirements on, point, on a 0.17 acre parcel and a conditional use permit to establish a 1,191 square foot drive through restaurant in the general commercial zone. Uh, the project um, is surrounded by residential uses and staff uh, notified those uh, neighbors, including uh, the um, neighborhood associations within 500 feet of the project, and staff did not receive any comments uh, from those groups or adjacent neighbors and considers the project to be non-controversial. Uh, this evening, uh, staff prepared a purple sheet, uh, which was uploaded uh, this afternoon. Uh, which includes a, a modification to condition number B6, uh, adjusting the hours of operation on Sundays and Thursdays uh, to open at 5 a.m., uh, amend condition number B7, um, just clarifying that no amplified ordering systems are permitted, and condition number B8, uh, clarifying that a landscape berm will be used uh, to screen um, the drive-through facility from the adjacent road. Um, Staff is recommending approval of the project uh, this evening and recommends that the Planning and Design Commission approve the project uh, today. Uh, that concludes my presentation. Staff is available to answer any questions you may have. Thank you. Thank you very much. We will now move on to commissioner questions. Commissioners, do you have any questions for staff or the applicant? Is the applicant here? Is the applicant here? Yeah, the applicant informed me that they're probably stuck in traffic, and so I think they're on online. Okay, great. Yes, I'm here. Thank you very much. Um, I will first go to Commissioner Chase. Thank you, Chair. Um, Angel, I noticed uh, one of the conditions was uh, the inability because of the neighbors to not use um, uh, audible ordering. How will the ordering be done? I mean, they have long lines in their facilities. Uh, my understanding that Dutch Bros uses um, 
people to do the, all, all the ordering, so they have mobile uh, app, uh, tablets that will go to car to car and receive people's orders, and it's all mobile. So they don't use any uh, amplified machines. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Chase. Any other questions from commissioners? Hearing and seeing none, we'll move on to public comment. Uh, Jacob, do we have any? Oh, excuse me. I'm moving too fast. Commissioner Lamas, please. Thanks, Chair. Um, just uh, had a, a point of or a question for clarification. <clears throat> I I just went to a, my first Dutch Bros this year, um, and I noticed that there's two lanes in the drive-through, and I'm noticing it here too. Is that a standard um, con like condition that they do with these developments? And is that to help with some of that traffic coming through the parking lot to make sure that they can kind of come in and out, not having to wait for the person's order in front of them? Um, can, can you speak a little bit about that and how it was designed? Yeah, that's correct. So the the two lanes essentially help in any potential spillover onto adjacent properties, and the goal is always to prevent any spillover onto the public right-of-way. And so uh, with this design, it allows for all the queuing to be maintained on their project, uh, on the project site and not affecting any other surrounding uses. Um, this, In this case, it's... It's located on the north side of the building. Um, it accommodates about 30 vehicles, uh, which is um, considerable, I think, compared to other Dutch Bros in the city. Um, so, yeah, the potential of it spilling over uh, is probably limited, but I know that Dutch Bros are pretty popular. So um, the applicant, as part of their conditions of approval, is to prepare a, a traffic management plan, um, and that plan will essentially also uh, create any uh, additional plans or mitigations that would address any spillover on, on those days. Okay. Thank you. You have my time. Thank you, Commissioner Lamas. Seeing no further commissioner questions, we will move on to the public comment period. Um, Jacob, do we have any members of the public who wish to speak on this item? Thank you, Chair. I have no speaker slips from those in chambers, and I have one hand raised online. Uh, Jason. Hi, my name is Jason Voorhees. I was the project architect for the planning commission. I wanted to thank the staff for helping prepare the project. I'm sorry I couldn't be there this evening. Um, quickly, uh, regarding the stacking, the, the dual lane has been introduced to uh, mitigate you know, spillover. They have a traffic management plan that addresses when the cars uh, get to the back of the lane how they would maintain that traffic on site and not let it spill over to the neighboring site. Um, the drive-through is only for the Dutch Bros suite. The adjacent vacant suite would be a standalone walk-up uh, retail food user. They don't have a signed lease yet, so they don't have anybody uh, taking that space yet, but, but that's the goal. We have outdoor seating. Um, and a walk-up window for people that would rather uh, order in person instead of utilizing the drive-through. Um, I'm available for any follow-up questions. Thank you very much. Thank you for your comments. Uh, Chair, I have no more speakers with their hands raised. Thank you very much. We'll bring the discussion back to the dais. Commissioners, any additional questions, comments? Now would also be the time to make a motion. Commissioner Buckley. 
I move to approve. We have a motion by Commissioner Buckley. Commissioner Young? I second. And a motion by Commissioner Young. Um, I just want to comment. I uh, really appreciate um, the staff in working with the applicant and making sure that there was um, more features for pedestrians, more features for for people who are, are using bikes there, as well as um, the benches and all the trees, and really making it uh, a space where people can congregate and socialize. Um, this is a, a drive-through, but it seems like it's also a place that people can go and hang out and spend some time there. Um, and also thank the applicant for being amenable to those changes. So we have a motion and a second. Uh, Mr. Clerk, will you please call the roll? Thank you, Chair. Commissioner Zhang? Aye. Commissioner Chase? Aye. Commissioner Lamas? Aye. Commissioner Buckley? Aye. Commissioner Caden? Aye. Commissioner Masias-Reed is absent. Commissioner Young? Aye. Commissioner Wallace? Aye. Commissioner Boyd? Aye. And Chair Hernandez? Aye. Thank you, the motion passes. Thank you, thank you very much to staff and the applicant. Next, we have file item number four. This is McClatchy Park Monopine P22-044. Commissioners, any disclosures or recusals? Hearing and seeing none, we'll move on to staff presentation and we have Danny Abbas, whenever you're ready. Okay. Okay, yeah, there we go, that sounds better. Uh, good evening, Chair and members of the Commission. I'm Danny Abbas and uh, the assigned planner to this project, which is a request to construct a new monopine telecommunications facility near left field of the McClatchy Park baseball field, replacing an existing facility at the baseball field on top of a light stand. The facility would utilize the same equipment enclosure located behind the third baseline bleachers. The impetus for the application is to accommodate continual modification requests, equipment requests from new carriers, and to avoid multiple new facilities. The request requires planning and design commission approval of a conditional use permit and a site plan and design review height deviation uh, for an 85-foot facility. Planning staff recommends approval of the request as the facility would accommodate multiple service providers since it, is, since it is designed to blend within surroundings and since it would support general plan policies that encourage state-of-the-art telecommunications facilities for households, businesses, institutions, and public agencies. Uh, that concludes my presentation. Dana Repan from Youth Parks and Community Enrichment also has a brief presentation uh, after staff would be available for any questions. Thank you. Thank you, Danny. Dana, whenever you're ready. Good evening. Dana Repan, Senior Planner with the Youth Parks and Community Enrichment Department. I wanted to give some background to um, why we decided on this location. Um, that might help with the decision making tonight. Uh, the location of the existing T-Mobile monopole is near the third base, as Danny explained, um, of an existing Little League field in McClatchy Park. It's co-locating on one of the stadium lights. Uh, in 20, or 2008, the city approved this co-location on the park standard, and the city entered into a lease agreement with T-Mobile. The leased area also includes ground facilities and the enclosed storage unit at the Little League field. Then in 2021, T-Mobile reached out to Yipsy um, to request a replacement monopole to support their new equipment. At about the same time, another carrier, Verizon, reached out to our department and asked to co-locate at McClatchy Park as well on a light standard at the same Little League field. We typically support collating on facilities at public parks, but we do prefer that with construction and design techniques, the equipment on the pole and on the ground would be concealed as much as possible. 
following the city's facility location design guidelines. <clears throat> our, de our department director, along with YPSI's planning division, staff from real estate and de uh, development engineering, and the park rangers reviewed the two proposals, T-Mobile and Verizon. We agreed that with multiple carriers requesting to locate on site at the park on separate light standards within the footprint of the recently renovated Little League field, we didn't want to have an aesthetic on the field that looked industrial and inconsistent with the primary use as an athletic field. Our other concern is that with these types of projects is that there's modifications to equipment on a regular basis. New carriers that may want to locate at the city parks constantly um, request these locations. With that, we wanted to set the stage for those future requests. So our recommendation to T-Mobile and Verizon was to collate on a single monopole facility that would allow for multiple carriers and for it to be as far away from the field as possible in a location that was out of the way of play, close to a paved access trail for their maintenance vehicles, that didn't cause a line of sight issue for security of the park, and didn't interfere with other uses of the park. So with the primary goal to minimize the number of new standalone facilities and to have a park to continue to look and operate like a little league field, the proposed location of the Monopine seems to have addressed our concerns and met our requests. Thank you. That's the end of my presentation. I'm available for any questions. Thank you very much. We'll now move on to public comment period. Do we have any members of the public who wish to speak on this item? Thank you, Chair. I have one speaker in chambers, and I have no hands raised online. Uh, our speaker tonight is Renita. If you could please uh, make your way to the podium here. I don't know what this um, monopole is going to look like, but the sign where it's going to be developed is right in front of my house. And right now, I sit on my porch. We built a deck, and we sit out there. We have barbecues, and I work 16 years, two jobs to buy my house, and now they're going to stick some monopole right in front of my door. And I don't think that's fair. That's going to bring down my value of my house, which is just is uh, rising right now. And I've been a single parent for a long time, and I don't think it's right. Not to mention that it gives RF, so I can, uh, my family and me can supposedly maybe get cancer or whatever, and it's going to be an ugly sight. As soon as I open my door, it's directly just, just as far as those trees right there. This is like my house and from those trees where this is going to be built. As soon as I open my door, I look out my window, I'm going to see this. And there's other people who, I came directly from work because this is that important to me. I didn't even go home, I, I came straight from work and got off early, requested to be let off work one hour early. So um, do you guys have any pictures of how this is gonna look or can you guys tell me, uh, is this not gonna cause my family any harm? Are my neighbors, are kids playing around at the park? 
thank you for your comments. Um, um, your two minutes is just about up here. Um, sorry, I kind of cut you off before your last 10 seconds. If you needed to finish no. your comment there. No, then. I, I just want to have some answers to my questions. Uh, so the uh, commissioners will continue to ask questions to staff, uh, which may um, answer your questions there. But the public comment period is, is more of a you make your comments and okay. um, right. it's not a question and answer. Right. So uh, we appreciate okay. your comments today. And okay. um, thank you. Chair, that concludes public comments. Thank you. We'll close the public comment period. Renita, I appreciate you coming from work to be here. You raised some really good questions, and I understand. Um, if staff wouldn't mind putting up a photo, um, in the staff report, we did have some photo simulations of what it would look like. Um, as a monopine, it's, it has an aesthetic of, of, a, of a tree um, versus more of an industrial look. Um, so as we do that, I do want to um, bring ask uh, my commissioners to forgive me. I didn't, don't have my script today, so I forgot we need to do questions first and then public comments. So we're going a little out of order today on this item. So if we can please do, as um, staff is putting up the photo simulation, um, I'll bring the questions back to the dais. Commissioners, do you have any questions for staff at this moment? Um, and then after this, we'll go into comments and motions. First, we have Commissioner Boyd. Commissioner Boyd? Thank you, Chair. Um, I too was going to ask for the pictures. Unfortunately, the pictures that we see in our presentation on uh, on our computer screens are much better than uh, what is projecting up here. But um, just if staff would, I can see it, but would staff point out exactly which one is the monopine, please? Let's see. Okay, yeah, this will work. Um, this location here would would be uh, the monopine and okay. uh, also this here and there's uh, if you could there's one other uh, photo with the aerial um, looking down at the uh, proposed site which encompasses the entire McClatchy Park I do believe so I have this one, which uh, does show the location, and I have another one that's a little bit more zoomed in, so I'm going to replace that so you guys can see that. And uh, the rough location would be in this area right here. So uh, also for, for reference, the, the sign for this project was located uh, at the nearest public right-of-way, on the sidewalk on Fifth Avenue, and that rough location of the signage is approximately uh, in this area. Thank you for that. Uh, keep the picture up there, please. And my question uh, I, that I believe I heard the in the presentation, a pave paved roadway, which my vision isn't the best, but I believe that is just on the, uh, just behind, which would be the third base dugout. Thank you, just making sure. <laughs> and to that, it's a walk uh, path that takes us out to Fifth Avenue from where the um, proposed site is, correct? That's correct. Thank you. Well, uh, last, uh, here's a question. Again, uh, staff is, 
had looked at the area and this being the best location for it, what uh, is the secondary location if this um, primary location isn't accepted? Um, I don't know that a second, I know that uh, park staff particularly had examined multiple locations um, and there are reasons that this was selected as the uh, best location for it. Um, uh, I don't know if Dana will help answer that question. Thank you. Good evening, Commissioner. The second location, if we were to have one, would probably be located where their existing monopole is, which is at the third base, the field. Would you point? Oh, sorry, of course. About right there. And there's currently one already in existence there. That's correct. At a height of? About 61 feet. I'm just asking the questions for those who may not have the information yes. before them. And the proposed monopine height will be? 80, 85 feet. So just one question, I believe. Why not just replace where the current one is with the new height? Um, we, were, we were trying to get the facility off of the field, of the play field. So all that would remain would be a standard, light standard, as opposed to a much larger like footprint for the facility to support that tall of a tower. Oh, then I, I misunderstood when I thought you said third base. I actually meant you were stating it as aligned with, but not actually on the field. My no, mistake it's just, just back from the, it's I don't right know the technical it. term for that, but. It, it, it's right up on <laughs> it. I got you, I got you. Okay. Thank you, uh, thank you, Chair, thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Boyd. Commissioner Chase. Thank you, Chair. Um, kind of to this uh, project, but also in general uh, clarification for uh, planning staff. Um, state law requires a project that's submitted to a public agency to have a, uh, an architect stamp and sign it. Uh, most people assume that's only when you go to building department, but in actuality, it's even planning department submittals. So, um, as you can imagine, uh, you know, monopo you know, there, there could be potential wind loads. So, you know, we'd want to be sure that an architect and or a structural engineer has analyzed these. So, uh, I would say keep that in mind, uh, staff, as projects come in, even at an early stage, uh, anything but a single-family residence in California does require the stamp and signature of an architect. So. Thank you. And I know internally, uh, you know, the uh, telecommunications firms do have their own structural engineers typically. If that's the case, they probably should be stamping and signing these too. So. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you, Commissioner Chase. Commissioner Zhang. So I just wanted to um, make sure I understood correctly that this, the public signage is on off of Fifth Street, which is a different location for where the Monopine would be, which is right in that Greenfield area. Um, so those are two different locations. Yeah, they're the two The signage is off of the street, and then the actual location of the Monopine is right off of that Greenfield right there. That's correct. Okay. And then um, secondly, can you um, explain if there is a minimum requirement um, for the distance between a Monopine to residential property? Uh, there, there's not a... Uh, minimum requirement for specifically uh, telecommunications facility, but um, there are setback requirements specifically for being within the, the zone. This particular 
project is uh, cited within the R1 zone. Um, give me a moment, I believe, uh, in the report, um, there was a, a brief discussion about setbacks and, um, let's see. Okay, yeah. Um, in the entitlement review section under site plan and design review, uh, it details the minimum setbacks required and the proposed setbacks required, and there are there is no deviation request, so uh, it does meet the minimum setback requirements. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Commissioner Zhang. Commissioner Buckley. Thank you, Chair. Um, and thank you, staff, for your presentation. Thank you for the public comment, too. Um, so I'd like to better understand the choice between um, putting up the new monopine um, and I don't know if there was an option to build upon the existing space, like put the monopine at the third base location. Sort of understand that. I, I heard staff say you'd like, to get for, you'd like to get further away from the baseball diamond. Um, but in, it, it appears from the grainy map that um, you got closer to residences. And just wanted to hear a little bit about how that trade-off played out as you were working on this. Thank you for the question. The goal was to um, move a standalone facility off the field um, because we had just renovated the field. A lot of um, public infrastructure funds went into the renovation of that field. We were trying to keep it very, you know, field-oriented. So we thought that, if that makes any sense. So we thought that with a um, monopole facility, a much larger one being located there, it would detract from the field use. Um, it's maybe perception from the players that it seems more industrial. Um, and so we really wanted to push it out towards the end of the, as you can see, at the end of the field, whereas more... Um, mature trees that would perhaps blend better with it. And does that put it closer to, it appears from the picture, it, it looks like it'll so. be closer to yes. folks' backyards. Is that what we're seeing It looks there? like that's the backyards for the nearest residents. And thank you. Um, my next question is about co-location. You know, how, how common is it for these types of facilities to be placed so near each other? Um, we have... Um, just statistically, we have 27 parks that have co-location facilities located on light standards, mostly. Um, and we have some that have multiple facilities on the same park, just kind of densed up together, um, technical term. So, um, but we try to keep those facilities away from play areas, like away from soccer fields, um, baseball fields, um, that sort of thing. So. And the, the issue also is, is that they need to be by their ground facilities. So the further away they are from where they can place their ground facilities, um, the more they have to trench through the park, the more they have to cut through irrigation lines, any other tree roots. Um, and then their maintenance equipment also has to access their facilities. So the further away again, the more that they have to drive through the park facility to get to their um, monopole or their co-location facility. 
And usually they don't um, reach out to the park staff to let us know that they're coming onto the site to do that. So there's some issues with sometimes with the carriers, um, contractors accessing the park, you know, making their, their way through the park. So we try to keep it closer together. So there's that less of a conflict there. Thank you. And my last question is around I, and around the health harms. I, I don't know anything about um, the health harms associated with this type of facility. Um, I was wondering if you could speak to that at all. I, I cannot. I don't have that technical background. Um, I would invite T-Mobile. He's available. That easy. He might have more information to share with you on that. Great. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Dana. Will the representative from T-Mobile please come up and... Commissioner Buckley, if you would restate your question for him. Sure. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. I can repeat the question unless you heard it. Uh, I heard it, yeah. My name is Matt Vizi. I'm here on behalf of T-Mobile. I want to make it clear I'm not an RF engineer, but I've been doing this for a long time. And so <clears throat> I can tell you that um, all the wireless carriers, T-Mobile included, are regulated by the federal government and the FCC. They've established guidelines for uh, how the wireless carriers emit RF frequencies. And, um, they've, uh, we, are, we have to um, you know, adhere to those standards, and we do. They're very strict. Uh, I think we're a highly regulated industry. Uh, additionally, um, the FCC, and there's a lot of data, and I, I know a lot of people don't particularly trust it, but the, the <laughs> that federal government and the FCC have in support of their um, findings said that there are there's, there is no um, harm that results from RF transmissions in a properly sited facility, which this is. Uh, so, um, I mean, I, I, I suggest to you that you probably all have cell phones. Anybody not have a cell phone? So they've been operating for a long time now, and if that data, we would know, right? But I don't want to get into this because it's a pretty touchy subject. Thank you. I appreciate your time. Uh, those are all my questions, Chair. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Buckley. Thank you very much for your time. Sure. Next, we have Commissioner Young. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to get clarification. The resident had mentioned that there would be some proposed signage. Um, I did not, I, I didn't see that in the report, so maybe could someone clarify what that signage would say and where would it be located? Yes, uh, it was the public notice signage. Um, so there's a real estate kind of post sign, and on that sign is information for uh, the project uh, to, to contact staff and uh, information for participation in this hearing. And that was located out on Fifth Avenue, uh, sort of where, uh, near the um, front of where the pedestrian path entrance is. Okay, so it would just be temporary signage and nothing permanent on the site. Yeah, that would be removed uh, as soon as the, the project is, um, I mean, it, it could be removed tomorrow. Okay, thank you. I yield. Thank you, Commissioner Young. Seeing no further questions from commissioners, commissioners, we will uh, now move on to commissioner comments and motions. Um, 
Commissioners, do you have any comments or now would be the time to make a motion? We'll first go to Commissioner Chase. One more time. Sorry. Um, I move approval of the project as submitted by staff. Thank you, Commissioner Chase. We have a motion to approve staff recommendation. Uh, next, we'll go to Commissioner Boyd. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Uh, actually, I had a, I wanted to make just one quick follow-up uh, question prior to the motion. Motion has been made uh, in regards, I am not an RF. Go ahead. You can still ask a question. Oh, okay. Um, for a second there, I thought my hearing went all the way out. I was like, what? No. Um, with that, uh, I am not an RF expert either. Uh, and what was uh, given as a uh, demonstration in regards to all of us having a cell phone and uh, the acceptance of the RF signal, so forth, so on, with our cell phones on our person. Um, with that, what I can uh, state is my own personal research in regards to RF signal from your cell phone. Testing is done in a hostered mannered in a hostered manner and not uh, your cell phone in your pocket whether uh, front pocket rear pocket unhostered and so to that those are the statistics that are released in regards to the safety of RF signal from your cell phone next to your person what was stated I believe I heard as long as the, the monopine is in a safe location uh, I may have uh, flubbed the uh, verb um, um, language that was stated, but as long as the monopine is in its uh, properly cited, thank you. And um, I want to ask, what does properly properly cited mean versus not properly cited? If you could come back up. My adrenaline in my kidneys has gone down so I can speak now. Um, properly cited, so an improperly cited wireless communication facility would be one that would be uh, uh, like on somebody's house, like literally blasting, you know, RF um, frequencies directly into people at their height. Or, uh, you know, and even then, that is, it's not uh, the frequencies used in wireless are not of the ionizing variety. The sun is an ion. <laughs> That'll burn you. These won't, unless you stand in front of them all day. So a properly sided. is right there. Well, that is the gateway right there, that walkway. And those trees right there across the street, that is my house. So, uh, you know, a, uh, if, uh, if these are a properly sided facility, would be, have something at above grade, like the one that's there now at 61 feet. That, that's the center line of the existing facility. That's a properly cited. I'm trying to make a distinction between something that, uh, you know, a very, we, we don't do it very, you know, but once in a while we get ourselves on a rooftop where people are working on a commercial building where there are, you know, there's, there's exposure beyond what is um, acceptable in the federal guidelines and then we take measures to mitigate that or we simply find another site that's an example of an uh, you know improper properly cited facility 
Does that make sense? That oh, 100% um, appreciate that. Just before you walk away um, to that, uh, I may have missed it in the presentation. Um, uh, cellular companies are wanting, if not already doing, um, the transmission through 5G versus 4G, you know, uh, the step-up upgrade. So this model pine will be uh, 5G. Yeah, this is this is a 5G. Yeah, and that, that simply refers to the range of frequencies that are used. 5G is a different set of frequencies that are used. It's an upgrade to uh, to the existing, you know, wireless network that handles more data and calls and, uh, you know, just it's more efficient. Right, being the fifth generation, so the next step up. Step right. up. So the uh, most cell phone companies, correct me if I'm wrong, use a lower band uh, with a, uh, on the upper scale versus the higher end frequencies uh, for their 5G network be simply because it's, a, it's more cost efficient and uh, the upper bands are used for more emergency use, so forth, so on. But with that, uh, from the 5G um, emissions, from the tower, uh, from, excuse me, I'll re let, me, let me phrase it this way. To the best of your knowledge and what has been provided for information for your company, the microwave output from 5G towers has been found absolutely safe? Cor correct, yeah. The, I, there's been no evidence of anything that's harmful up to with the, the frequencies that the wireless companies operate on the FCC uh, do you, you step know. closer to the mic please oh yeah yeah th there's just no evidence uh, that the, the frequencies are harmful there just there just isn't any I know that people take exception to that I know this is a hotly discussed uh, item but there simply isn't any evidence uh, to support that and I go on what the the governmental agencies that regulate our industry provide us. And, you know, I, I have some stuff I, I provided to staff, which I'm happy to share with you, in the Telecommunications Act of 1996 and some FCC reports about, you know, what is harmful and acceptable. And there simply isn't, you know, we operate in a, a, a very highly regulated environment and we, we adhere to those regulations and those standards, and there simply isn't any evidence that there's that those uh, frequencies are harmful. I appreciate that. Just last question, as um, I wouldn't mind a copy of your information. As you stated, 1996. Is there is that a living document with current uh, statistics and information in, in regards to as soon as say 2020 or? <laughs> no, it was. It, it, it's just a thing. It just suggests that. Uh, the, the industry operates under federal guidelines, and the local guidelines can't be more stringent, more stringent than the, the federal guidelines that the you know that the uh, the wireless companies you know operate under, and so that a facility like this couldn't be rejected on the basis of uh, health you know problems, uh, perceived health problems with RF. That that's the whole crux of the 1996 Telecom Act. Gotcha. And to the best of your knowledge, sorry, last question, um, in regards to the 1996 Telecom Act, the most recent amendments to it would be of what year that 
again, follows up from 1996 stating that the RF signal or any signal uh, broadcast from the antennae of uh, uh, cellular service is uh, without arm. Not aware that there's been any amendments or updates to it, uh, nor am I aware that there's been any information that suggests that the signals uh, are, you know, uh, are adverse to health in, in any way. Thank you. I appreciate your, your time. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Commissioner Boyd. Commissioner Young. Yeah, uh, could I ask the resident who's in the audience could, to just point out exactly where her house is with respect to where this light pole is? I mean, light pole, the, the cell tower. Uh, okay. Uh, if so you could point it on that image so that way I can see your finger. <laughs> okay. Um, this is where the um, thing is going to be built. This That's is my house right here. So where your finger is, right across the street, that's yeah, where that's we currently have the signage posted there. The that signage, the, the signage. I'm not talking about the post. I'm talking about the location. They're going to put it right there. Where your finger is, that's currently where yeah. the temporary signage is located. That no, sign is going to be taken is. off. The sign is like a, like he said, like a. Like a real like estate. Sale sign, real estate sign. sign. Mm -hmm. And it's like out by the the little city the area patch of uh, grass area. So that will be removed, Commissioner. I'm not talking about that. That's not right. a bother to me. Right. It's the cell tower. Can we show the image with the proposed monopine? There's an overhead view, and then there's also an exact location of where the proposed monopine is. That, there we go. Okay, maybe you can go in and point to where your house is. So it looks like your house is actually across the street yeah, on is. Fifth Avenue. Yeah. And that's where the, the proposed pine would be. So it doesn't look like it's actually like, like right up against the house. It, it looks like it's about 100, 200 feet away maybe, maybe even more. No, not well, maybe. It's about maybe 100, 200, 100 to 200 maybe. feet, yeah. Yeah, I, but, I I was just concerned because I because I do see the residential units yeah, to the east. Yeah, because there are. Yeah, yeah. I, my friends live right here, right next to it. It's gonna be right in their backyard. Yeah, yeah. That that yeah. was I was concerned about that that location, and so given that that it is adjacent to those residences, it is. It's and right so, in the backyard of them. Okay, so so I guess my, my only question is in light of this. they're renters, because that's an apartment complex. They don't own the property. But I um, worked 16 years, two jobs to buy my house. And this, so that's why all these other people, they are renters. I own my house. Sure. Okay. Um, thank you for answering the question. Um, I guess I, I was hoping to see if even if we move that proposed modern pine closer to the commercial facility, like maybe even 30 to 40 feet to to the west, you know, but still up against the grass field, whether or not that might make a difference, um, whether or not that there would be any problem with that. But I, I don't even I don't think that would resolve the issue that the resident has. So again, I was just speaking out loud and just trying to find a possible solution. 
Um, but I, I think given that it's, it's, it's a few hundred feet away, I, I think my, my opinion would be that it would not compromise the value of any property uh, in that area. I don't, I'm not aware of any information where these types of cell towers would, would uh, compromise value. Um, but I'm also of the opinion, I, I guess maybe I should throw out the question and see if there's an answer. I mean, is there any opposition if, if that cell tower was moved a little bit further away from the residential units and, and maybe closer to the commercial side on 5th and 6th Avenue? Commissioner, if I understand your question, um, you're talking about moving it from this location further west. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, just further away from the residences. This area is the only open area that's not currently developed with park amenities. And I don't believe that size. I'd have to ask Mr. VZ if that size would accommodate the tower. Okay. Um, I know that there's underground facilities there, like gas pipe, I think, is over there. I'd have to double check my facts on that. But there are some underground utilities in that location. And then as we move further west, these are batting cages, practice areas for the baseball field. Just want to give you a context. Okay. We were also looking at it for line of sight for the park rangers. Um, they use Fifth Avenue to look through this side of the park, and we were trying to keep a clear line of sight for them. So that's why we're thinking this corner might be more... Um, easier uh, easier for them to look through the park if it was backed against this corner another uh, another who's they i'm sorry park rangers oh i see okay i'm 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 trying to so so you're basically saying that you're not sure if it could be moved and and that movement unto itself would be like we're talking about like 20 feet maybe? At the most. At the most? That's just across the path, which is about a five foot wide path. Okay. So they really, I, I mean. I think it would be more visible from our neighbor. Okay. To be honest. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Young. Commissioner Lamas. Chair, <clears throat> I, I had a question about um, regulations and guidelines about the placement of these monopines. It sounds like they're, they're maybe not specifically defined with the city, but that there may be some overlying federal regulations that dictate where they can be located and possibly how close to residential um, parcels or, or lots. Um, it's more of an administrative question. Is that check, like when is that check done to make sure that they are in compliance with federal regulation? Is it is it part of the engineer or the architect stamp um, when they're when they're reviewing the plans um, to say yes they meet all the guidelines and and we and we can move forward as it stands? Um, just wondering if you can speak to that a little bit. Uh, Marcus Adams, senior planner for the South Geographic area. As the the representative from T-Mobile stated, we they we get about three or four pages from the engineer's statement, um, talking about the frequencies, the emissions. So we make sure that it does meet the FCC's guidelines. Um, they'll have an explanation about why it was cited there and the equipment. So it's that it's that uh, technical report that we review. 
Um, and as, as he stated, um, staff is prohibited from going any further than that, even if we wanted to say, well, we want tighter emission standards or we, we were prohibited from doing that. Okay, perfect. Yeah, I just wanted to, to make sure that it was noted that uh, it seems to be in compliance with those guidelines. Right. That's in fact that's one of, that's part of our completeness check. We ask make sure that we have that engineering report along with the photo simulations and also the radius map that shows. Uh, I think one of the commissioners talked about um, how how close are they sighted to others. So we also have a map that shows other facilities nearby in the distance. Perfect. Thank you. You my time, Commissioner Lamas. Any additional questions or comments from commissioners? Commissioner Boyd. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Chair. Um, uh, just one quick question. Um, the, I believe you called it the utility building, or the uh, the utility building. Where is where is the utility? The current utility building for the current um, uh, pole that is up now. Uh, it's located right here uh, behind the third baseline. Thank you for that. Just before you walk away, so where, where the new location is going to go, so there will be no underground need to run any type of lines to that utility building to the uh, proposed site? I mean, so the location of the facility is extending out uh, farther, so there would be, I presume, uh, some some more trenching kind of in line with that, you know, third base as it goes out. But uh, there is um, no change to the equipment. Uh, it's within a fully enclosed structure. There would be no change at all to that. Um, no, no visible change um, to any sort of ground infrastructure um, that's existing. Okay, um, I understood that. Now, the, as you just stated, a little more trenching out would you be specific on that? So the existing uh, uh, mono pole is located approximately here. And with its proposed location more over in this area, um, there, I presume, and maybe someone else can verify, but there would, so, well, there, yeah, there would have to be some, some uh, trenching out in this area. Uh, underground, again, nothing above ground or visible. From building to pole, correct? Yes. I wanted to make sure I was understanding that. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Commissioner Boyd. We have a motion by Commissioner Chase. Uh, we do not have a second yet. Are there additional comments, questions, or a second? Commissioner Zhang. I'd like to second the motion by uh, Commissioner Chase to approve staff recommendation. Thank you. We have a motion and a second. I appreciate everyone's work on this. I know this is really important for a lot of folks in the community. Um, I understand it's really difficult to balance uh, the needs uh, with these communications and industrial uses and trying to maintain a Little League park what it, to what it is. It's a park where people recreate and bring their family and their kids there to play. Um, and also, while the monopine is the city's least desired option, it seemed like you guys went through so many options to try to find the best fit for this area. Um, so with that, um, will you please call the roll? 
Thank you, Chair. Commissioner Zhang? Aye. Commissioner Chase? Aye. Commissioner Lamas? Aye. Commissioner Buckley? Aye. Commissioner Caden? Aye. Commissioner Masias Reed is absent. Commissioner Young? Aye. Commissioner Wallace? Aye. Commissioner Boyd? Aye. And Chair Hernandez? Aye. Thank you. The motion passes. Thank you. Thank you very much for being here today. So that's, uh, those are our two items for the public hearing calendar. We'll now move on to the discussion calendar. We are on item number five. This is the status update on the revisions to the vehicle and bicycle parking requirements project and nomination and appointment of two planning and design commission members to the project working groups. This item was continued from June 8th till today. I understand we have a staff presentation for updates based on the June 8th meeting. Um, and so whenever you're ready, Ryan. All right, thank you. Uh, good evening, Chair Hernandez and Commissioners. I'm Ryan Dodge, Associate Planner. And we came here on June 8th and talked about this project. I'll go over some of the same stuff, uh, but in the interest of time, uh, I will highlight some other things as well. On the screen is the, uh, I don't see it up on here, by the way. We'll, we'll get it brought up in just a moment. Oh, sorry. There it is. Uh, some elements of the project, vehicle parking and bicycle parking vehicle about parking minimums, parking maximums, parking management, and then bicycle parking, a few tasks with that. Uh, did want to mention we are going to kick off this project next month in July, and we expect to, to complete it by fall 2024. Uh, as I mentioned uh, on June 8th as well, uh, there was state legislation, Assembly Bill AB 2097, that pretty much makes it, with limited exceptions, uh, to where we cannot require minimum parking for 44% of the city. So community, community engagement, we have community conversations, which are six small workshops. We're gonna have several meetings with this, Active Transportation Commission, uh, City Council, Law and Legislation Committee, Sacramento Disabilities Advisory Commission, as well as coming back to the Planning and Design Commission for three times. We'll probably be back here later this year, or early next year. A key component of the community engagement is working groups, where we're gonna have two working groups, one focused on parking in residential areas, the other on non-residential areas. Uh, the working groups will meet uh, four times each, and it's gonna be, first meeting will be likely tentatively uh, this September. Uh, the other means would happen in November, December, and then next year in February. And the idea behind this is with the working groups, the project has multiple tasks and deliverables. And once we have the deliverables, uh, the working group will review and take a look at it. So September uh, working group meeting would be after existing conditions and parking data collection the November one would be after uh, development funding and parking pricing assessment, December after best practices review, and then February, the last one would be after a parking management toolkit and draft code changes. So each meeting will take total of about four to five hours, um, up to two hour meetings. The other time, two to three hours, we would have the expectation that everybody in the working group would review all the materials so they can come to the working group meetings and, and have a more in-depth discussion. Uh, expectations for everybody in the working group is to do that preparation before 
the, the working group meetings, uh, to attend every meeting, uh, to be on time, and to actively participate. There are three recommendations from staff for this item. The first one is to appoint a commissioner from this Planning and Design Commission uh, to a working group focus on residential areas. Second recommendation would be to appoint a commissioner to the working group for non-residential areas. And then the other one is review and comment on other groups and stakeholders we should include. And I put together this list here, staff su suggested as well as uh, comments that we got from the commission on June 8th, as well as public comment to include a couple groups there. And before I return to the first recommendation, what questions do you have for me? Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate your time. Commissioners, any questions or comments for Ryan on this item? I see Commissioner Caden. Thanks, Chair, and thanks, Ryan. Um, curious on, so clearly we're gonna be discussing, as a part of these working groups, off-street reform around uh, residential areas, minimums, maximums, all of that. Does the management, you mentioned just parking management on there, is, what's kind of in, included in that umbrella for what the working groups will talk about? Is that sort of gonna cover on-street management as well? Pricing, um, residential parking permits, things like that? Yeah, absolutely. So if, if um, at some point in the future for the other areas in the city not covered by AB 2097, we do get rid of minimum, minimum parking requirements. If it does come to uh, uh, locations where uh, there appears to be more demand than supply. We want to be able to manage the existing supply as well as we possibly can before we build any new parking. And so that would include uh, access, who gets access to it, how long folks can stay, how much it costs potentially. Uh, but it also does include um, uh, sharing parking as well, such as like off-street facilities, parking lots and garages, which the city currently does. It. And uh, the big part of this is a uh, a parking management toolkit that's really gonna be customized to us. It's not just gonna be, here's a list of what everybody's doing. Uh, it's gonna be really focused and informed by this process, figure out what we need to do in that realm. Thank you, Commissioner Caden. Next, we have Commissioner Boyd. Thank you, Chair. Hey, Rod, uh, Dodge. Um, my first question is, uh, using your wording, why the separation of residential area versus non-residential areas for, uh, for having two separate uh, work groups? Yeah, great question. Uh, I think the idea is uh, well, we have a lot of builders. Some of them only work in one realm or the other. And so we really need information from them on their experiences. And so to have a residential, we think the nature of it is gonna be different where if you live in just an entirely residential area, your parking experiences and challenges might be very different than if you're in a commercial area. And it's uh, pretty typical across the country, a lot of times uh, to focus on commercial or residential, one or, one or the other or both. Gotcha, I appreciate that. Um, just only because of, um, okay, using residential versus non-residential might be a, almost a misnomer simply because you know, special mixed use, um, mixed use, so forth, that's still residential with commercial in the commercial uh, corridors. 
just for clarification for those who may not understand who are listening and watching. But so my point being, it's all, except for industrial, um, opportunity for residential use, whether it's commercial, corridor, special mix, um, uh, um, commercial, there's still opportunity for residential above the commercial aspect of the properties. So again, I, well, not again, but I come back to instead of um, um, separating the two, I'll use, uh, I want to say zoning, but that still might throw folks. In the way it's presented, instead of having residential concentrating more that would come to, uh, would come to the front of one's mind, neighborhoods, uh, the parking in a neighborhood versus the downtown uh, business district, so forth, or commercial district. It would, um, my thought is, have everybody at the table discussing the all parking at the same time. So if one group that is, uh, let's say, the, that are doing, again, the wording that you guys uh, put forth, the residential parking, okay, great, this is, you know, the feeling of uh, how we want to park, you know, want parking in, in the residential. Right across, say, their main thoroughfare is commercial, the, um, which would be a different work group coming up with whatever revisions, if revisions were made uh, and uh, sent forward. So now you have one group that, okay, yeah, we, we have it, we're great, you know, you only park X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z, but then the other group is stating because of the commercial corridor, we're gonna allow this type of parking to go into uh, our, uh, we'll come up with a way that parking will, won't be allowed here, but then uh, in the commercial, which would force parking into the residential. So having them separate, my opinion, seems almost a, not a battle, but not informing uh, that could be done at the same time by just having one work group. And uh, I believe I read that as, or through your presentation in the last meeting, um, I wasn't here, but I was watching, that to have more members, uh, general stakeholders involved in the process would be great. I'm in agreement with you. So if it's 28 people that is the number targeted number, up to 28 if that is, uh, I believe I read that, 14 each. Well then just have one large group of 28 and whether it's one, two, uh, four commissioners that want to participate with their expertise and knowledge in that larger work group that covers all aspects of parking for the city of Sacramento. To which uh, I'll conclude with this. During our interview session with the uh, RFP uh, submission um, winner, uh, our, uh, consultant, it was uh, brought up by myself and Director Sunlin in regards to community engagement being a, a bigger want from our interview uh, uh, group to the consultant to which uh, they saw as, okay, fine, we can, you know, add additional uh, engagement. So they are um, obviously up for greater engagement, but I'm just curious where this aspect of um, two separate work groups or uh, the large number of, let me rephrase that, where work groups came together out of that uh, conversation that I was in, it didn't take place, but I'm fine with the work groups 
with stakeholders with actual real knowledge and information that would help the city come up with parking re parking revisions if parking revisions were needed. So long-windedness, if there are going to be work groups, I'm for it 100%. Let's all work together at the same time so there isn't uh, any stepping on or missteps during that process. And if there are more than two uh, commissioners that would be a part of the work group that want to be a part of it, okay, fine. And I believe so there won't be a violation of any Brown Act. We could have up to six commissioners. Not to say that six will ask to be a part of, but anybody can stop me if I have that number wrong. But uh, so here's the final question. Why only two commissioners? just one commissioner per each, is that a thought that maybe only two commissioners would be interested in doing so or being a part of the work groups? The intent of having two different working groups is to have a small enough uh, membership so that everybody's voice can be heard and we can really talk through the material. And so we wanted to keep it about eight to 12, that's manageable. We're only going to meet four times and maybe up to two hours each meeting, and we want to hear from everybody. We want everybody to participate, and uh, having one big group of 24 sounds like a party, but uh, it'd be it'd be uh, very difficult, and I don't think we would hear from everybody. I appreciate that, Dodge. The um, I've been uh, well belong to several different groups, organizations, so forth, so on, as most of us do. And our meetings can be up to 40, 50 people. Nationwide calls is uh, plus 100. Uh, of course, not everyone gets heard because, again, for the uh, time frame that the meetings have uh, take place. But in regards to this smaller number of 24-ish uh, 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 would be I don't see how that would be so hard to be heard in, in such a smaller group, my opinion, but I do appreciate your answers. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Commissioner Boyd. Um, I also appreciate everyone's patience again today. I would like to first go to public comment period um, for this item. Clerk, do we have any members of the public who wish to speak on this item? Thank you, Chair. I have no speaker slips from those in chambers and I have no hands raised online. Thank you. We'll now close the public comment period and bring it back to commissioners. Uh, next, we have Commissioner Chase. Thank you, Chair. Um, I, I did want to suggest one uh, additional um, stakeholder group that I was not on the list, and that would be the Urban Land Institute, or ULI. I think they would be very relevant to the, uh, uh, the process going forward. Um, you know, I, I, tend, I, I think I agree with Commissioner Boyd's comments about the difficulty of separating these two groups of parking. Parking is parking, and I know you know there are different people that look at it separately, but but ultimately it will all come together. Whether it should be one group or two groups that do come together, you know, on occasion to certainly compare, you know, where they're going so that they don't go off in tangents. But uh, I, I think you know as we get into mixed-use projects, that's going to be a combination of both commercial and residential. So uh, I think it's a little bit difficult to separate the two. Um, but so somehow I think they should be uh, coordinated and uh, and brought together. Um, yeah, regarding the the comment of perhaps two commissioners, what uh, the size of the working the stakeholders already is a pretty good sized group there. So I, I think you'll end up with a you know a, a good number of people uh, on each group. Uh, 
whether there's one additional commissioner on there, I'm not sure it would have a, you know, a, a huge effect in throwing it off balance. Um, I, I do see, looking at the list, some of those stakeholders would not, if you split it, some of them would not be interested in one option or the other, commercial versus, versus residential. But uh, uh, I, I'm just curious. I, I think that it could be more integrated uh, as we move forward to come up with a, you know, reasonable policy and solution going forward. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Commissioner Chase. Commissioner Boyd, did you have your hand raised again? No? Okay, thank you. Um, I also wanted to comment on the potential working group members and include some uh, associations from District 6, which include Elmhurst Neighborhood Association, Tahal Park, um, Colonial Village, and perhaps even the Power and Alliance. Um, and to the discussion in terms of the, the two different working groups, um, I appreciate the comments here. I, I do um, believe that uh, they'll have, uh, we need to have enough resources and staff to be able to provide that robust discussion that will be needed for this. And I think when and where is appropriate, staff will be able to combine the two uh, discussions as they're ongoing and even have some check-ins in between. Um, but open to discussions. I do want to say that uh, for this item, we will take separate motions. So before we do that, I do, I do understand that we have a couple of members interested. So um, what I would like to do now is for those commissioners who are interested in serving in one or the other um, to please provide two minutes of comments as to which one, why, and also um, you know how you will lend your voice to this, that particular working group. And from there, we will to make a motion. Um, so I can call on you or if, you, if anyone's ready, um, please uh, let me know and we'll move on to your Commissioner presentations to be appointed to the working groups. Commissioner, oh, first we have Commissioner Caden and then we'll have Commissioner uh, Chase. Turn to speak. We'll go to Commissioner Caden first. I'll see if okay. I can do this again. There we go. Commissioner Caden. I'm happy to yield if, if you'd like, Commissioner Chase. <laughs> Good. Oh, I'm Confused. At what point are we at the point where we should kind of dis dis describe why we'd like to be on the uh, uh, the, the commission? Yes. Uh, thank you. Um, yeah, as an architect, having worked on you know residential and uh, commercial projects for thirty or forty years, um, I you know I feel like I can bring a lot to this uh, you know uh, policy working group, and I would certainly like to. Um, I've been on both sides of the table: the private sector, the public sector. So uh, hopefully, I could bring balance to it as well. Uh, that said, I'd very much like to uh, participate in the working group. So. Thank, Thank you, you, Commissioner Chase. Commissioner, sorry, Commissioner Boyd. Sorry, I'm just <laughs> messing up the, uh, too many fun things to play with over here. Uh, uh, to that, uh, not to that, excuse me, um, I too would like to put my hat in the ring uh, to being, well, actually let me back it up. Um, your comments, Commissioner, in regards to finding out what we're going to do, wouldn't it be, uh, be better that we first decide, are we going to have the two working groups, or are we going to have one working group? And then from that, uh, commissioners would know which working group that they would want to be a part of? Uh, you can, that can be part of your two-minute comments and speech as to how you would like for it to be, and then we'll make a motion based on that. Oh, my apologies. I thought you were asking us to give our presentation for which group to be in. That's correct. Okay, so then I go back to, well, so if we decided that it's going to be two groups or is it going to be one group with both commissioners in it? 
I, I leave that to your comments. So I think from what I understand, your, your comments is that you would prefer to see them come together as one. So, you know, go ahead and make your comments as to, to that particular point. Thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, sidebarring here uh, to that, the, the, I'm with you, but the, it was just, um, anyway, I would like to be uh, a part of um, the working group. I would like to see it as a working group of, with all bodies uh, uh, meeting under one, one uh, umbrella as a working group. If it was, or if it's going to be two working groups, uh, again, I would still like to participate more so. I believe in the, um, as it was worded, the non-residential uh, working group. And from that, uh, both interests in both the residential as well as non-residential. From that, the, the experience bringing in to um, the suffraging of uh, uh, parking in residential and non-residential, being an uh, ADA member, um, I have uh, lived experience in regards to parking and where to and where not to park, but uh, also in regards to uh, experience in, in the knowledge, being a former um, SHRA commissioner in housing and understanding what parking is related to uh, builds, whether it's commercial, uh, special mixed use, residential, so forth, so on, and uh, as well as the Planning and Design Commission on what parking is actually needed and what isn't needed, what is overparked, what is underparked. And with that, my time is up. But uh, um, again, I would like to put my uh, name in the hat, hopefully under one work group, working group. Thank you, Commissioner Boyd. Before we go to another candidate, I think the attorney would like to speak. Thank you. I just wanted to clarify that the question of one versus two working groups is not before you today. It's not agendized. So the only thing you could potentially continue the item and staff could reconsider. But tonight, the only thing before you that you could take action on is appointing one to each of the two groups. Thank you for the reminder. Okay. I think we'll take Commissioner Kata next and open it up for discussions and motions. Commissioner Caden. Yeah, <clears throat> thanks, Chair. And so I'm, I'm also interested. I don't um, feel strongly about the two group, one group question. I'm, I would be more interested in the residential one, but would be open to either. Um, I'm, not a, I'm not a fan of parking requirements. I think, I think they increase housing costs. I think they restrict how much housing we can actually build. Um, you know, we're talking about fourplexes in this general plan update. Uh, it's really difficult to fit six parking places and a fourplex on the same typical parcel. It's just probably not going to happen, so it's going to actively restrict how much we're able to actually build on these parcels. And, and they're actively making it more difficult to, to reach our climate goals, which um, we're going to be talking about, I know, in the next item. And we have explicit um, quantified language around in TR 2.2. So I, I do feel strongly that we should be kind of finishing the job here that, that the state has sort of done with AB um, 2097 um, that, that sort of restricts the city's ability to require parking in, what, about half the city? Is that what it is, Ryan? Um, so I do think we should kind of, for the rest of the city, be providing a lot more flexibility for our builders to tailor the amount of parking um, that they're providing to, to the needs of the future residents of that particular development. So. Um, there are really valid concerns, I think, about how we make that transition, for sure. 
Um, and I'm, I'm interested in being a part of the working groups just so we can make sure that we're addressing those concerns, think through how we can um, manage the on-street parking demand and the impacts um, that happen on the street as we're sort of adjusting these off-street uh, concerns. I think the on-street part is probably at the heart of what a lot of folks' concerns are, so I think I'm glad that we have the management component there. Um, I, I, man I, I mentioned this in the last meeting, but, oh, 10 seconds, but super familiar with the on-street sort of management issues because I worked at the city of Oakland and heard these concerns for a, a year straight. So uh, I definitely understand them, and I'd like to sort of provide some more insight on that. Thank you, Commissioner Kaden. Um, so I'll open it up to commissioners uh, for, for a motion. Um, again, I want to recognize the, the clarification that we have from the city attorney. Uh, we need one motion to appoint uh, a commissioner for the residential parking working group and a separate motion to appoint a commissioner to the commercial parking working group. Um, I will take the three comments made today as commissioners Chase, commissioners, uh, Commissioner Boyd, and Commissioner Caden as being open to either one. Um, so correct me if I'm wrong. Um, so with that, uh, I'll open it up to other members if there's any, anyone else interested and or if um, someone would like to make a motion. I see Commissioner Boyd. Did you have a comment? Uh, okay. No. Thank you. Uh, Vice Chair Wallace. Thank you, Chair. Um, I think I'd like to start by uh, offering a couple of thoughts and an emotion. Um, I think it's really important that whoever uh, represents the commission on these working groups is extremely conversant with the general plan update um, and also has been um, spending a lot of time thinking about the relationship between parking and housing costs. Um, it's been a, a major level, uh, discussion across the country for at least 20 years. I feel like the high cost of free parking came out over 20 years ago. <laughs> um, and like we are really at the point where we are looking uh, and making trade-offs that are going to affect our community and our planet for generations. Um, and with that, I'd like to make the first motion for the um, residential. Um, I'd like to nominate Dov Kaden to represent the commission on the working group. Thank you, Vice Chair Wallace. We have a motion to appoint Commissioner Kaden to the residential parking working group. Do we have a second? Commissioner Young? I second. We have a motion and a second to appoint Commissioner Kaden to the residential working group. Clerk, will you please call the roll? Thank you, Chair. Commissioner Zhang? Aye. Commissioner Chase? Aye. Commissioner Lamas? Aye. <clears throat> Aye. Commissioner Buckley? Aye. Commissioner Caden? Aye. Commissioner Masias Reed? Is absent. Uh, Commissioner Young? Aye. Commissioner Wallace? Aye. Commissioner Boyd? Aye. And Chair Hernandez? Aye. Thank you. The motion passes. Thank you. Congratulations, Commissioner Caden. Um, we are now looking for a motion for the commercial parking working group appointee. Commissioner Lamas. 
Thank you, Chair. I, I, I just had um, a, a question for clarification from staff, or maybe even the attorney to how um, appointments to committees or commissions from our commission are, are managed. So is there um, like a limit to how many committees or commissions commissioners are appointed to, like these subcommittees? Um, is there also an expectation to join a committee at one point? So like, do we have to balance commitments now with future commitments to, to join committees? I wonder if you can speak a little bit to how, uh, how, how it works. Yeah, great question. Uh, these are working groups, so they're not like subcommittees or ad hoc committees, it's, it's different. Um, I'll leave the city attorney to tell you about quorum uh, requirements as far as how many folks are in the same place from this commission. Uh, and, and your uh, question about balance, I would say we do wanna have a balance within each group and we wanna have a lot of different viewpoints. Um, we wanna hear from everybody. Yes, there is no limit, if I understand your question, on how many working groups you can serve on. Just as a point of clarification, so this group that staff is presenting to you is different than the ad hoc subcommittee standing committee discussion. This is a separate group, members of the public that staff has coordinated, and they've asked two of you to join. Um, so that's it. And in terms of limits, it really is one less than quorum. So if we have 11 now, we could not have five of you getting together without an agendized meeting. Okay, we could have five, not six. Thank you for the clarification. I yield my time. Thank you, thank you Commissioner Lamas, and thank you, City Attorney, for that clarification. Um, I see Vice Chair Wallace. I have a clarification for staff. Um, so we are appointing one individual to each working group. Um, but are the working group meetings going to be behind closed doors? And is that, um, I can see why, uh, but I'm curious um, if, if it would be possible to appoint an, an alternate that could attend. These will not be public meetings at all. We'll meet. Uh, most likely virtually, and um, I don't believe we're gonna record it or anything. Um, and what was the second part, excuse me? Would it be possible for us to appoint someone as an alternate? Is that perhaps a question for the city attorney? Yes, that's fine, legally. It's, yeah, there's no legal issue. If I may, I'm sorry, Chair. I, I do want to say that the expectations are that folks are going to be there during all meetings, all the working groups. Uh, so if there was one uh, person who was there for three and then couldn't make it for the fourth, that alternate might miss out on a lot of the conversation that had happened. And I don't know how beneficial that would be for them or for us in that sense. Uh, we will be coming back to the Planning and Design Commission three times, so we will be updating everybody. So I think in that sense, 
Uh, it's not right. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. I don't think it'd be too beneficial. Um, if it does come to you appoint someone, they show up for one meeting and then cannot make the others, perhaps we could come back and have a, a motion so you can appoint someone if you really needed to at that point as an alternative. Thank you. Thank you, Vice Chair Wallace. Thank you. Um, given that, um, I think what I'd like to do is make a motion to appoint Commissioner Chase uh, with the understanding that Commissioner Boyd is extremely interested and extremely knowledgeable and extremely available to Commissioner Chase should he seek his counsel. Um, and that if Commissioner Chase is not able to complete the duties as assigned, then Commissioner Boyd would take his place. Is that a motion, Commissioner Vice Chair Wallace? Yes. Thank you very much. Um, so we have a motion by Vice Chair Wallace to appoint Commissioner Chase as the representative for the commercial parking working group. And should he be unable to fulfill the, the time requirements, then um, Commissioner Boyd would be uh, his alternate. Um, just want to make sure um, Commissioners Chase and Boyd are okay with that. Great. So uh, looking for a second from this body, Commissioner Buckley. I will second, Chair. Thank you. Great. We have a second by Commissioner Buckley. Clerk, will you please call the roll? Thank you, Chair. Commissioner Zhang? Aye. Commissioner Chase? Aye. Commissioner Lamas? Aye. Commissioner Buckley? Aye. Commissioner Caden? Aye. Commissioner Masius Reed is absent. Commissioner Young? Aye. Commissioner Wallace? Aye. Commissioner Boyd? Aye. And Chair Hernandez? Aye. Thank you. The motion passes. Thank you very much. Thank you to staff. Thank you to our commissioners for lending your time on parking issues. Um, we'll next move on to item number six. This is the public review draft of the Sacramento Climate Action and Adaptation Plan, file ID 2023-00780. Um, and we have a staff report. Um, so whenever, whenever you're ready. All right. Very good. Uh, thank you very much, Chair Hernandez and Commissioners. Uh, my name is Vic Randall. I'm a senior planner with the Long Range Planning Division uh, focused on climate and sustainability planning. I uh, appreciate the opportunity to join you tonight to provide an overview of the Climate Action and Adaptation Plan, uh, which has been published for public review in conjunction with the general plan update, uh, about which you received a presentation at your June 8th meeting. Uh, I'm joined by the core project team. Um, so there are a few of us here tonight. Uh, this includes Ryan Gardner, Sustainability Program Manager with Rincon Consultants, who's been the consulting project manager for the climate action portion of the CAP. Uh, also joined by Matt Hurdle, the Long Range Planning Manager, who oversees this and other Long Range projects, uh, as well as Laura Tuller, an Associate Planner in the Long Range Planning Team, uh, focused also on climate, sus climate and sustainability. Uh, and Laura is the project lead for two of the early CAP implementation projects. Uh, we also have a few members on the team joining us via Zoom. So Helen Self, Associate Planner on the Long Range Planning, Climate and Sustainability team. Helen's been the CAP project lead and has played a key role in climate planning uh, for the city for uh, nearly two decades now. Um, Jennifer Venema, the city's climate action lead, is also available via Zoom, uh, as well as Mayu Tanaka, an associate with Diet Mbatia, uh, the consulting project manager for the Climate Change Vulnerability Assessment and Adaptation Chapter of the CAP. 
And then finally, Scott Blunk, uh, a strategic business planner with SMUD and a great uh, teammate on this and also our existing building electrification strategy has also joined us for any questions related to SMUD's work. So I'd like to also extend gratitude to our outstanding colleagues across the city and a number of partner agencies that have helped to develop the CAP as you see it today. Uh, continued collaboration is gonna be a key to uh, successfully implementing the CAP measures, actions, and goals going forward. Um, so just to touch base briefly on Sacramento 2040, our overall project, which includes the general plan update and the CAP, as well as the Master Environmental Impact Report. Uh, the documents are known collectively as Sacramento 2040. Uh, so this project kicked off in February 2019. I know you've got uh, a run through of the, the full project history on June 8th. Um, so I'll just note that we did release a preliminary cap in July 2022. So that was just the climate action portion. Uh, and then we released a preliminary draft of the uh, vulnerability assessment and adaptation chapter in October of 2022. Um, so the full public review draft cap that is out for public review at this point incorporates comments received on these preliminary drafts. Um, and these comments are all posted on the project website. So the project review period for the general planning cap will be open through the end of August with the draft master environmental impact report to re be released in September. Uh, we're planning to bring these plans to city council for hearings and adoption in early 2024. Um, so uh, tonight's presentation will include an overview of the CAP background and organization, as well as an overview of the greenhouse gas inventory and emission reduction measures and actions, followed by an overview of the vulnerability assessment and adaptation chapter of the CAP. I'll then share an overview of the project next steps uh, before seeking commission discussion and comment. So the, uh, I would like to start with a little background on the Mayor's Commission on Climate Change. Uh, the work of the CAP is strongly guided by the foundational work and key strategies identified in the Mayor's Commission on Climate Change Report, uh, which was released in 2020. You'll find key uh, Mayor's Commission strategies and CAP measures that we'll discuss soon, such as strategies to advance electrification in the built environment and to prioritize active transportation over other transportation modes. The City has also acted with urgency as recommended by the Mayor's Commission. For example, staff are currently implementing the climate, climate Implementation Working Plan that was prepared in late 2021 in advance of CAP ad adoption. Uh, there are some key differences, however, between the Mayor's Commission on Climate Change and CAP strategies that I'd like to note. Uh, the actions in the CAP are primarily quantifiable and substantiated by evidence. Staff work to align the CAP measures with the Mayor's Commission recommendations to the degree possible, but complete alignment was not always possible. Uh, chapter six of the CAP provides further explanation regarding the alignment of the CAP measures with the Mayor's Commission on Climate Change final report. Uh, one example is to uh, active transportation and transit mode split targets are lower in the CAP than they are in the Mayor's Commission on Climate Change recommendations. Um, this is based on data driven uh, on data and is consistent with the modeled land use assumptions of the general plan. Uh, importantly, the CAP is also consistent with other important resources like the regional land use and transportation models developed by SACOG. I'd also like to note that we are, uh, the CAP is intended to be a qualified greenhouse gas reduction plan, uh, and it fulfills the requirements of the California Environmental Quality Act to be a qualified greenhouse gas reduction plan. Having a qualified CAP allows new development projects to be streamlined if they align with the CAP and general plan. Uh, building on the Mayor's Commission uh, 
recommendations, our cap is reflective of CEQA criteria. Uh, specifically for the cap, we focus where there's city authority or jurisdiction or a clear nexus to city work. We focus on measures with data uh, and that we can calculate regarding greenhouse gas emission reductions. And the cap focuses on strategies that we can substantiate with case studies, technical reports, and other evidence. This focus will enable us to ensure that Sacramento's cap provides the benefits of a qualified greenhouse, reduction, greenhouse gas reduction plan. And then I just want to touch brief, briefly on the consideration of carbon neutrality. The cap team has worked through a balanced approach to achieve carbon, carbon neutrality, considering trade-offs that balance the need to move with speed by focusing on the largest sources of emissions and actions under city control and finding the right balance of co-benefits. Um, I do want to note that the city has achieved uh, early progress, so um, achieving a 20% reduction in our communi community-wide emissions uh, from 9.75 metric tons uh, per capita in 1990 to 7.25 in 2016. And also to note that the city is leading by example, having achieved a 28% reduction in greenhouse uh, gas emissions from its uh, municipal, municipal operations. Um, so just to take a quick look at the CAP document itself. Uh, so this is an outline of our 10 chapters. Uh, just to note that we do have documentation of the greenhouse gas emissions in Saco, uh, Sacramento, our climate action targets, uh, rundown of our community engagement process, our greenhouse gas reduction strategy, uh, listing of our reduction measures and actions, and chapter seven focused on climate change adaptation, the last piece to the document, uh, chapter eight, implementation and monitoring, and then community action sustainability, followed by our greenhouse gas reduction measures. Uh, we, the document is supported by seven appendices to the cap. And I won't go into the detail of these, but it's uh, in total, we're uh, approaching 600 pages, so it's uh, quite a substantial document. Do wanna note that we uh, have completed extensive outreach for the cap. Uh, and note that equity was a key focus during this outreach and will continue to be the, a focus during CAP implementation. Since 2019, thousands of Sacramentans have participated in guiding the CAP through city workshops, a scientific survey, community plan area workshops, and a range of other outreach. With the release of the full public review draft CAP, we are now conducting the final phase of outreach before completing a final draft for adoption. Sacramento's community-wide emissions for 2016 uh, are estimated to be almost three and a half million metric tons of carbon dioxide equivalents. And so you can see from this diagram, uh, transportation is the primary source uh, with about 57% of Sacramento's emissions coming from the transportation sector. The building sector makes up roughly about 37% of overall emissions uh, with significant emissions from the energy that is used within buildings for space and water heating, air conditioning, lighting, and plug load. And then we've got a, a balance of emissions through waste and uh, uh, as well as pumping water and wastewater for the community. So our greenhouse gas forecast and emissions reduction targets uh, point to uh, a target of 63% below 1990 levels by 2030, uh, equivalent to, uh, again, about 3.6 metric tons per car of carbon dioxide equivalent per capita. And then uh, we've got a target of net zero by 2045. I do want to touch briefly on the tools that are available to us, uh, looking at the, the local government levels, levers for climate action. Uh, so we do not directly control community-wide greenhouse gas emissions, uh, but local agencies do have jurisdictional authority over certain things that can be used as levers to change the built environment or facilitate behavior changes that reduce carbon emissions. 
Uh, and so we have to work within these levers that are available to us. Um, these, uh, these include authority over building permits and the ability to make local amendments to the California Building Code to reduce greenhouse gas emissions from buildings. Uh, we also have tools such as the General Plan and Planning and Development Code to change the standards for new development, uh, such as parking ratios, as we just discussed, or to change land use patterns to facilitate increase, uh, increases in mixed use, density, and intensity of new development to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Um, and then to note that we also have uh, the ability to make changes to transportation infrastructure, such as removing vehicle lanes and uh, vehicle travel lanes and adding bike lanes. Um, and then finally, just to note that local government can make changes in the way that services are delivered, such as requiring separate bins for yard waste and other organics so that organics can be diverted from landfills. Uh, finally, community investments and grants can support projects such as the Home Energy Equity Pilot, Northgate Boulevard Investments for Energy Efficiency, and the Californians for All Workforce Program. And these kinds of investments can drive uh, community greenhouse gas reductions. So looking at our percent uh, greenhouse gas reduction by measure, uh, we've uh, got a 10, 10 quantified measures and two supporting measures, and a total of approximately 240 actions included in the cap. And these actions are organized into groups of actions that are called measures uh, because they do produce uh, measurable greenhouse gas emission reductions. So this diagram shows the 10 quantified uh, greenhouse gas reduction measures in the cap and the percent of projected greenhouse gas emission reductions by 2030 that would be contributed by each measure. Uh, and I'll run through each of these in order from largest impact to smallest. So our, our primary tool for reducing greenhouse gas emissions in, in Sacramento is SMUD's zero carbon plan, uh, which uh, is based on SMUD's commitment to uh, provide 100% zero carbon electricity by 2030. So the zero carbon plan contributes 47% of the projected 2030 greenhouse gas reductions identified in the cap. And it's also the basis of several other impactful emission reduction measures included in the cap, including the shift to carbon-free power for both buildings and vehicles. Uh, the zero emission vehicle adoption uh, measure supports uh, ZEV adoption by identifying actions that ensure that Sacramento has adequate zero emission vehicle charging infrastructure. This measure is projected to provide 17% of the 2030 greenhouse gas reduction identified in the cap. Um, in order to achieve this, uh, the Sacramento community will need to achieve 20, 28% ZEV registration by 2030. And in, uh, in order to reach net zero by 25, we will need 100% ZEV registration uh, by 2045. Um, organic waste disposal uh, is projected to uh, provide 11% of the total greenhouse gas reductions by 2030. And this is because organic waste, uh, when it decomposes in a landfill, it produces methane. Methane is a powerful greenhouse gas. Uh, therefore, taking steps to reduce organic waste disposal in landfills uh, helps us to mitigate uh, potential impacts of methane. And the city um, did begin implementation of our organic waste recycling program in July of 2022. And the city now diverts organic waste away from landfills into biodigesters to mitigate the release of methane into the atmosphere. Um, electrifying existing mixed fuel buildings is projected, projected to contribute 10% of our 2030 greenhouse gas emission reductions. And the city is currently in process of developing an existing building electrification strategy to guide the transition of existing buildings to, to electric. Sacramento is uniquely positioned to benefit from building electrification. 100% of single family homes in Sacramento are expected to see immediate on-bill savings from whole home electrification 
with the largest greenhouse gas and economic benefit coming from electrifying space and water heating. There's significant public investment in existing building electrification through SMUD, the state, and the federal government, with a substantial amount of additional funding slated to come online in 2023 and 2024. These rebates and incentives are expected to make electrification cost-effective for most Sacramento households, with extensive support for low- and moderate-income households. In addition, uh, there are important co-benefits, including improved indoor and outdoor air quality and associated health benefits. Um, so achieving a public transit mode share of 11% is projected to provide 9% of the 2030 greenhouse gas reduction target. And then new building electrification uh, of construction is, is projected to provide 3% uh, of our 2030 greenhouse gas target. Uh, I'd like to note that City Council adopted building electrification as a guiding principle in the general plan, and Sacramento was the first city in the region to commit to all electric for new buildings. As a fast-growing city, this is an impactful strategy that will future-proof our buildings and save developers and residents money. This action was one of the key recommendations of the Mayor's Commission on Climate Change Final Report. Uh, there's currently some legal ambiguity around the new building electrification ordinance uh, based on a recent Ninth Circuit ruling. Um, however, uh, all electric new construction is cost-effective in Sacramento. We anticipate a large percentage of builders to continue to choose all electric, even in the absence of an ordinance requiring it. And then uh, we are looking at uh, increasing carbon sequestration from trees by increasing the, uh, the urban forest canopy from the current 19% uh, to 25% would provide 2% of our 2030 greenhouse gas reduction target. Uh, importantly, it provides uh, adaptation co-benefits such as shade and cooling that are really critical to the city's future. Uh, active transportation is projected to provide 1% of our 2030 greenhouse gas target. Um, and uh, this, we implement this measure by supporting a mode, of shift, a mode shift of local traffic from cars to active transportation by improving bicycle and pedestrian infrastructure. Uh, the 2040 general plan and CAP both prioritize active transportation to achieve a 6% mode share by 2030 and a 12% mode share by 2045. Finally, the last two measures, water and wastewater decarbonization, account for a little more than 1% of community greenhouse gas emission reductions identified in the cap. These actions involve utilizing carbon-free energy to pump water, encouraging efficient use of water, and <coughs> biogas recovery from wastewater. To summarize, the cap measures and nearly 240 actions are projected to reduce greenhouse gas emissions below uh, 2030 targets while creating a pathway to net zero in 2045. The pathway to close the remaining gap to the 2045 target is expected to be closed in the coming years, in part reflecting anticipated changes in technology and the state regulatory framework. I would also like to note that we do have a community action guide in Chapter 9. Um, so most of the cap deals with actions that the city or its partners will implement. Um, chapter 9, however, provides community-level climate actions intended to support community members in reducing the carbon footprint of their homes and businesses. So in addition to the climate action portion of the document, uh, we uh, also have the um, climate adaptation chapter, which identifies actions that can build community resilience and reduce the impacts of climate change effects in Sacramento. Uh, the CAP adaptation chapter is supported by a climate change vulnerability assessment, which underpins the adaptation chapter by documenting projected climate change impacts, vulnerable areas and populations, 
critical facilities at risk, and existing adaptive capacity within Sacramento. Uh, the final step in the vulnerability assessment helps identify any gaps in which adaptive capacity could be strengthened to increase to increasing climate risks. And this is reflected in the adaptation chapter of the CAP, which is chapter seven. So key climate change effects, uh, impacts that are likely to impact Sacramento include temperature increases, changes in precipitation patterns, increased flood risk, and increased regional wildfires with air quality impacts in Sacramento. The uh, projected increase in temperatures uh, includes uh, an increase in the average number of extreme heat days per year, uh, which is projected to increase significantly by the end of the century. Similar trends are also seen for warm nights, and an increasing frequency of extreme heat days and warm nights also corresponds with more heat waves, which are expected to get longer and become more frequent over the course of the century. Sacramento is expected to experience changes in the amount, timing, and phase of precipitation. Precipitation is expected to shift more to early winter, and warming conditions will cause precipitation to increasingly fall as rain instead of snow, in turn leading to reduced snowpack. Variability in annual precipitation is projected to increase, including an increase in the number of large storm events. This, in combination with the phase shift to rain and the timing shift to early winter, may result in increased runoff and flood risk. Drought is another natural part of California's climate, and variability uh, will continue to increase the uh, extent of drought impacts. And I seem to have lost my notes here for one second, so let me just go up to the screen. Um, so we have, uh, there you go, thank you. So uh, we've used the vulnerability assessment to uh, inform the preparation of six adaptation goals, which you have in front of you. Um, and I'll just go ahead and read through these because I think it's worth uh, reading these. And these are the core element of the adaptation chapter. So strengthening city government capacity for integrated holistic climate adaptive strategies and to reduce climate risks. Our second goal is to create a built environments that reduce exposure to extreme heat and mitigate ur urban heat island impact. Goal three is to reduce the risk of damage to life, infrastructure, and property due to flooding. Goal four is to increase awareness of and expand community resources to address the adverse health effects of air pollution. Goal five, increasing community resilience to prepare for climate impacts. Goal six, enhance water supply, diversification, and prioritize water use efficiency to build resilience to the effects of climate change. And then I would note that we have a range of key adaptation policies um, that cover a range of efforts uh, tied to addressing heat, uh, increased flood risk, um, air quality impacts, and improving water efficiency and uh, stormwater management. And then I would like to get into our self-guided online workshop. Uh, so the Sacramento 2040 project is trying to funnel uh, community input through our online workshop, uh, which is available through sac2040gpu.org. Um, and we do have an introductory video, which we recommend folks review, uh, about six minutes. And if you're looking to get into the Climate Action and Adaptation Plan, that is Station 11. Um, and the full general plan is also available on this site. Uh, each of the stations contains a summary board that describes key content, goals, and key moves of the element or chapter. And at the end of each station is a space uh, to comment on the board itself, or you can get into the full, uh, full document. In the case of the CAP, uh, it's split up into the 
core document itself and then the appendices. And we welcome comments uh, directly in the document through the online workshop. Uh, and then I'd like to note that we do have uh, two uh, orientation webinars were completed and those, those recordings are available on the SAC 2040 project website. And then we do have a final workshop that is scheduled for, let me see if I can get this correct, Tuesday, June 29th from 5.30 to 7. And then I want to note that we've uh, completed a, a series of outreach through commissions uh, over the course of the past month, uh, primarily uh, focused on the general plan with the cap element as well. Um, and then we'll be looking at uh, City Council overview of the general plan in July and City Council overview of the cap in early August. Um, we have additional outreach scheduled through the course of the summer for pop-up events at festivals and markets throughout the city. Um, and then the self-guided online workshop will be available through the end of August. Uh, we do have the MEIR release scheduled for September and then plan on going to City Council for adoption in early 2024. And with that, we'll conclude my presentation. I'd be happy to take any questions that the Commission may have. And again, I have the full uh, team with me to support uh, if you have uh, any technical questions. Thank you. Thank you very much, Vic. We'll first go to public comment. Um, Clerk, do we have any members of the public who wish to speak on this item? Thank you, Chair. I have no speaker slips from those in chambers. And I have no hands raised online. Thank you very much. We will close the public comment period and bring the discussion to the dais. Um, as a reminder, we can have, uh, this is review and comment. No motion is necessary. So now would be the time to make comments or ask questions. First, we'll go to Commissioner Caden. Thank you, Chair, and um, appreciate all the work that staff did on this. I know it's a tremendous effort. Um, I, I, as I was reading through it, I was noticing how many of the um, reductions are contingent basically on policies that are being enacted through the general plan, which has not been adopted. So, and not just the general plan, but things that are running parallel to the general plan. So, um, and I don't mean to jinx it, I guess knock on wood, but like what, so what would happen in a situation where, for example, you know, you have reductions associated with parking requirements being eliminated. If that is not actually passed, you then have to go back and sort of revise all of the numbers in here, and then what happens if we're not hitting the target? Just curious if you can kind of talk through the process of that. Yeah, and I might look a little bit for some assistance on that one, but uh, that it, it, there is an iterative process uh, where we will need um, the full, I, I think kind of regardless of whether it was tied to the general plan, that would still be the case, right? If it was, if, if we did not have the, uh, that measure approved, uh, that was pulled from the plan, then we would still need to adjust our numbers to reflect that direction. No, okay. Yeah, so I think that would, you know, and ultimately we are looking at uh, active communication between the plans, and so um, as we move through our, our process, and they're gonna move through the review process and adoption process together, so we will uh, keep them uh, in coordination through, through that process. Got it, okay. Um, and then, so, so for E5, um, there were a lot of great land use measures in there. Um, one of them was 90% of growth. The goal was 90% of growth happens in established and center and corridor communities consistent with a regional sustainable community strategy. Is that intended to be like a static area? Because that those 
those areas do change over time and will change when SACOG adopts their 2025 plan. So I guess I'm, I'm wondering if they're intended to be static or, or living, and if they're intended to be static, I would recommend just putting a map of what areas you mean by that in the plan so that you have an easier time tracking over time. Yeah, happy to speak to that. And good evening, Matt Hurdle, manager for long range planning. Uh, so I do feel like it would be pretty live in terms of responsive. We're gonna be reporting in, on this and, and monitoring on uh, the actions and the actions in the general plan as well, the measures in the cap and reporting on an annual basis. And so we're looking at being able to track that um, and, and looking at the data from uh, SACOG and to be able to report on how we're doing against that 90% goal. Got it, and I guess, again, my recommendation would be in order to make the tracking easier for yourself and to make it apples to apples to just set the areas now, put a map in the actual plan that says here's the areas we're talking about, because otherwise they may change and you might have differences in permitting numbers of like whether it falls in that area or not, if that makes sense. Um, and then, so, and then it, the last question I had was around um, in that same measure, I guess they're called, uh, it, there was a project level VMT should be 15% below the regional average. Can you explain what, what exactly you mean there by like, so is that for new land use projects, new transportation projects, like what, what does that mean? Um, I'm gonna ask Ryan Gardner to come up and speak to that. Yeah, so that would be with new development projects, and that's consistent with SB 743, which is a state legislation that the city's been working on as well. So that'd be specifically for new development. But I guess is, is the intention that we're not going to approve projects that are above that 743 threshold? Because SB 743 is just incentivizing and making it easier to build projects that are below that threshold. But it seems like this measure is like, saying that we're not gonna deal with projects that are above, but I'm curious, yeah. Yeah, so projects would need to be able to demonstrate that they're below that, and there's mitigation measures that have kind of been selected in areas of the city where that may not be required and they could kind of be streamlined, but yeah, in general, they would need to be able to demonstrate that they're 15% below the average. So they could get approved provided they have mitigation measures, you're saying? Okay, all right. All right, that's all my questions, thanks. Thank you, Commissioner Caden. Next, we have Commissioner Chase. Thank you, Chair. Um, yeah, first I want to, you know, uh, thank the uh, staff for this. I know, I know it's a huge effort. Um, and mention that <clears throat> when I was building official here some years back, worked on, uh, prior to Cal Green being adopted by the state, we worked on green, green policy in the, the city. Uh, had some great people working on it, Helen Self being one of them. Um, so you're right, she has been involved in this for, for quite some time. Uh, I kind of got hung up, uh, caught up in it about 40 years ago uh, with passive solar design. And it, once you get it, it never gets out of your system. Certainly has evolved. We've gone well beyond that into, you know, looking at the things that, that need to be addressed. Uh, certainly over the next, you know, don't even want to go out 40 years. It needs to be much sooner than that. Um, I do have one minor question. Uh, in, in the uh, early, uh, the update process uh, slide that you showed, it indicated, mentioned the uh, draft age-friendly action plan. I was wondering what that, what that is. Yeah, so we are working closely with 
AARP to um, create an age-friendly action plan uh, that would set out a series of goals and actions to um, really uh, work towards their seven uh, livability indicators that AARP has set up. So we are an age-friendly action or age-friendly city and that is one of the things that we need to do to kind of complete that process uh, with AARP. So it's really committing to actions uh, to make a city that is very livable for all, of all ages. And so we uh, will be looking to release a public review draft of that um, probably, uh, probably the next, uh, probably before the end of the year. Uh, and then we would adopt, uh, ask uh, the council to adopt that document after the adoption of the general plan. Um, and it would be a subsequent project of, of the general plan in line with a lot of the goals, policies, and actions of the general plan. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Commissioner Chase. Next, we have Vice Chair Wallace. Thank you, Chair. Um, I have a couple of questions. They're sort of related to the inverted pyramid of um, how we're going to achieve the, um, particularly the transit-related or transportation-related reductions. Um, we all know that cars are the biggest polluter, um, and it seems like we think that the only way that we can um, facilitate reductions aside from ZEV infrastructure is um, active transportation. And I'm curious, because I work on public transportation and public transit, um, to what extent are we going to integrate um, the needs of public transit into this, into our thinking around this? Um, and in a couple, of, a couple of ways, right? Like transit, public transit is in flux right now. And um, there are people working to uh, strengthen it um, in the face of um, declines in ridership because of um, the pandemic and people working from home. And so I was wondering if you could speak to sort of like your thinking about how that evolves as the plan gets implemented. Sorry, I know it's kind of complicated. <laughs> no, ab absolutely. Uh, yes, I mean, this is cornerstone of a lot of our goals and policies and actions in our general plan as well as in our climate ac action adaptation plan. Um, we understand the co-benefits and the importance of really working towards improving, improving our, our mode shift to active transportation. Uh, you know, we understand for 2030 in terms of what we're going to get our most reductions, it's through the, the things that you know, Vic talked about, but active transportation in terms of the co-benefits is, is tremendously important for the type of city that we want to see, right, in terms of livability, of health impacts, of walkability and, and you know, reliance, less reliance on automobile and vehicle miles traveled. Um, because uh, so we're really focused on that in so many ways and as you know in the general plan one of the key strategies is re reducing or taking away lanes on 22 major um, roadways throughout the city and offering that that space to walking biking or bus rapid transit so that is an absolute uh, you know key part of what we're looking to do here um, and and so we'll continue to work very closely with our partners in Public Works and the Active Transportation Commission, as well, of course, as our public transit provider, um, Sacramento Regional Transit. And uh, we've, we work very closely together. In fact, one example of that is just recently through the Green Means Go program through SACOG, we um, uh, work on, with SecRT and are 
uh, able to secure a grant to do some work on the, at the Meadowview Station where they have land that they really want to, to do some tremendous uh, transit-oriented development there. And so we're working hand-in-hand -hand with them on that, that plan. So absolutely, it's going to take a lot uh, of us working together uh, to, to um, reach those goals around after transit, but I think there's a lot of opportunity, certainly. Thanks. I don't have any further Thank questions. you, Vice Chair Wallace. Commissioner Caden. Yeah, and I, yeah, thanks for those comments because I, I wanted to highlight those as well, which is there's a lot of VMT reductions essentially that are coming from those transportation measures. And I think what, what was lost in the document for me is like, yes, that is going to require, you know, lots of new investment in active transportation. It's going to require lots of new money for transit. That's definitely all true. Um, but, you know, you can say that we're just quad, quadrupling our, I think that's what it is, quadrupling our active transportation mode share, quadrupling our, our transit mode share. But that doesn't happen uh, unless you dramatically are shrinking. It's, it's a land use question. It's, it, we have to dramatically shrink the distances that people need to travel between their destinations through more compact urban form. That's how you deliver that active transportation mode share. And for the transit, um, it means dramatically increasing the number of people that are living and working near frequent transit. Um, so I just wanted to like connect the dots there between like those pretty aggressive VMT assumptions in the transit measures and what would need to happen on the land use side. Um, it is talked, the land use side is discussed in, in measure E5 and I think some of those goals are really critical. Um, one that I wanted to highlight, so E5.2 which says enable development of 29,000 new multi-unit dwellings that are within a half mile of public transit by 2040 through the continuation of ministerial staff review of infill, reduced fees, um, identification of local funding sources. Um, so I love that goal and you know, first of all, I'm glad to see that it has a half mile in there which is consistent with my comments from last meeting on um, general plan policy um, LEP 4.1 around uh, directing higher intensities around, around it was a quarter mile, I'm, I'm recommending that be increased to a half mile. Um, but, you know, second of all, I don't see how, you know, we do that, that goal without completely overhauling the densities in the plan that we're allowing near transit. Um, that goal, I assume it's a 2020 base here, is that what it is, between 2020 and 2040? I, I don't know, but it, if that's the case, it, that's 1,500 multifamily homes a year um, that, we're, that we're setting as a goal for ourselves near transit. You know, I, I just like did a quick buffer around the, the candidate high frequency transit um, corridors from map M3 in the general plan and just looked at kind of historical production on that. We're doing about 500 a year. Um, so that goal is basically saying we're tripling the multifamily homes that we're building near transit and I don't, I don't think we get there through just continue, it, you know, the continuation of ministerial approval, um, you know, reduced fees, identification of local funding sources. So um, I know I'm a broken record on this, but I think if we're serious about that goal, we need to fundamentally rethink the types of housing that we're allowing near transit. And if you look at that max FAR map that we looked at last last time, you know. Uh, 78% of the parcels and 47% of the area in that buffer is max FAR of one. 
And so I don't think we're going to triple our multifamily products um, or, or our multifamily production in those areas when half of the area is just at an, a max FAR of one. So again, I, I would I would just reiterate my my um, my ask to kind of explore higher FARs in our transit areas as a as a means of actually quadrupling our transit mode share. That's all. Thanks. Thank you, Commissioner Caden. Commissioners, any additional questions or comments? for staff. Commissioner Boyd. Thank you very much. Microphone check. There we go. Thank you very much. Um, to staff, yes, I have a good time while I'm up here. Um, I do have a question in regards to the VMT as well. What um, was just presented and um, Matt um, emphasized the, I believe you said 22 street lane reductions throughout the city of Sacramento. And so that would help to account for a reduction in VMT. But with that said, as there are already and soon to be online additional freeway lanes, wouldn't the, uh, the squeeze out of traffic opportunity in those 22 streets now, that those same VMTs go right back to the freeway. So negating any plus, you know, any gains from reducing VMT, um, which most of us may find or have found, you know, uh, as the the um, um, construction was announced that you know additional freeway lanes, I five, uh, the ten fifty, whatever, we're like, wait a minute, aren't we trying to reduce the the uh, vehicle travel? And yet, okay, so now we're going to squeeze people in the. Um, area bordered by the freeways, highways, uh, whichever way, uh, whichever one you want to speak of, to singular lanes and uh, use the other lane for the high um, uh, public transit corridor, specifically for public transit, in stating, or not stating, but meaning, okay, well, we reduced the lane, so get on the ding public transit. But the downside is public transit is uh, for here in Sacramento, Call it what it is. It's, it's uh, atrocious in regards to its scheduling. The uh, um, I asked the question uh, maybe a month ago or so. No, it was less than that. Maybe it was a uh, virtual meeting. But I, either way, it was uh, uh, the response for public transit in Sacramento. I believe has two lines that actually operate in a 15-minute window consistently of all of the lines in the city of Sacramento. I do believe I have that right. So with that said, if you're an individual trying to get from home to wherever, let's say work, so the same place you're going every day, the dependability of public transit as it stands now is atrocious. I understand so with the, my opinion, the um, traffic corridor, public transit corridor, which would be designated again for the public transit, so hopefully opening up the, the uh, quicker movement of public transit. Sounds great. The reality, uh, Commissioner Wallace may be able to steer me back in the, if I'm in the wrong direction here. Um, I understand it's uh, for, for fare box, um, fare box totals 
for the budget for public transit here in Sacramento is 8% or I'll, I'll go high, I'll say 10% or less, meaning the rest of the budget for public transit here in Sacramento is a, is a, is a subsidy, meaning the amount of monies that public transit is bringing in is almost minute for need to operate. I'm 100% for, okay, fine, if we can get everybody in on the public transit, fantastic, I'm with you. But for most folks, I'll put a uh, number on it, for let's say, uh, not let's say, but the actuality is more than half of the entire workforce, Sacramento County-wide, the entirety of Sacramento County, are low-income wage earners, which they more depend on their vehicles than anybody else. And I'll use the word affluent, and affluent being those that are, I'll go with uh, plus 40% of AMI, uh, recognized uh, AMI. So meaning to um, squeeze down or reduce lanes in the inner areas of Sacramento and hoping that would put individuals on public transit my opinion and backed by information that has gone out, in fact, a study from uh, UCLA's um, Institute of Technology, Institute of Traffic um, uh, Studies, it's a detriment in reducing lanes and uh, uh, in, uh, in a city to depend upon individuals hoping that they will get on public transit. Simply, the, the detriment is the vehicle miles traveled from uh, lower income individuals is a higher value trip, i.e. Um, driving 20 minutes to go to the doctor for um, preventive care and or care. So you're getting your care or your preventive care, which means you are not going to hopefully need to be hospitalized, which is a greater expense. If you are low income, that is a huge expense. Even with coverage, there's always gonna be additional costs. Versus affluent, again, using say 40% of AMI, that's uh, AMI. It's a lower value trip for those that, with that income, because more than likely it is uh, used for leisure. It's a direct impact, let's say movie theater, uh, whatever, restaurant, a uh, couple hundred bucks for the evening versus the tens of thousands of dollars saved on a high value, high value travel of a uh, lower income individual, say going to a doctor's office, going to work where their uh, uh, city of Sacramento, excuse me, Sacramento County wide, over 500,000 folks make $2,000 or less per month. So that puts them in that 30% AMI, which actually just a little bit lower than the 30%. So the questions I have, of course, it sounds great in theory. It's, you know, it, it, it sounds wonderful. High uh, traffic corridor, public transit corridor. Let's get everybody to move back and forth on the public transit, whether bus or um, the light rail. As it stands now and as it has been from the inception of light rail in Sacramento, the decline in ridership, and this is pre-COVID, COVID exasperated everything with, you know, it, we were at home, just period, so monies weren't flowing. So we're still coming out of the COVID era, so time is still building. But what has shown 
prior to COVID, uh, I believe 2016 through 2020, there was an exponential amount uh, increase of vehicle purchase, and those purchases came from the predominantly uh, more than 50% from low income. So low income individuals, once the, having the ability to purchase a vehicle, uh, they purchase a vehicle so they can get to point A, which is work, point B, the second job, simply because of the, uh, the enormity of the uh, 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 cost of rent now over the last few years of how it skyrocketed. So my point being, it sounds wonderful for the reductions of lanes. It sounds wonderful for um, um, self-powered uh, uh, transportation, i.e. foot, bicycle. I'm pretty much not going to do either one but that's just me for the category I fall in. I fall in the category of 20% of the uh, nation's population of that's uh, uh, ADA, 20%. So that's roughly, what, 60-something million people. Understand, I'm not going <laughs> to, quite frankly, walking from here to the parking lot, I'm gasping and taking a break. But again, that's me, and I'm upright. So my, my point being, there... Ha we do need to find a way uh, uh, to, to reduce uh, uh, greenhouse gases, period. The broad stroke, my opinion of, well, we'll get rid of lanes and we'll, you know, just everybody needs to get on public transit. It's not magically, magically going to work as I've just walked it out. And until employment is available to uh, within um, Caden, as uh, his wants is a, I believe a half mile uh, versus a quarter mile to public transit, unless your employment now becomes literally uh, the, the availability to walk a you know half mile in your, to your employee, fantastic. Just actually thinking about it, even a quarter mile, a quarter mile walking on your way to work, wintertime, rain, let's say this, well, I won't use this last winter, but any winter, you know, freezing temperatures, raining, whatever. Am I going to get out there and walk a quarter mile to get on public transit and then spend, um, let's say, two and a half times the, the amount of time of automobility would take, which is looked at in public transit as a great number to hit, an aspiration to take two and a half times as long to ride public transit as it would in your vehicle, which we know that's, again, a want versus more um, a being a uh, is. So with the long-windedness, it's just the fluff of, you know, hey, we're going to reduce VMTs by reducing lanes and, you know, public transit corridors and everything will be taken care of. Let's just present the actualities with, with actual numbers and the statistics that are available to all of us in, in the presentation once it's given so everybody has a, an actual well-rounded view and, well, and is well-informed of, of what is now and what is uh, what we want to achieve. Um, and the, the the last thing, the the high density build, regardless of where it's at, unless it's uh, being built on an already paved um, lot. But if it's going into where they're uh, in a res anywhere other than a uh, already paved lot, what you're reducing is the urban forest. 
i.e. trees, shrubs, whatnot, that fights the greenhouse gas effect. Okay, so you bring in, bring in greenery for that high density build, but it, in most cases, will not replace the mature vegetation that was already there that was fighting greenhouse gases. Am I against high density build? No. But where the city of Sacramento's general plan of where um, they're looking to put a whole lot of these high density builds are in neighborhoods, uh, majority low income neighborhoods that already have a higher pollution PM2 um, matter uh, pollution rate than other parts of the more affluent parts of the city the tree canopy is almost at a minimum in, in uh, neighborhoods such as Del Paso Heights Meadowview uh, Glen Elders the just you know, like a tree canopy what is that the heat deserts the emanation of pollutants from cement and asphalt that ranges in the one and a half foot to three foot level, which is the area of your small ones and or pets. My point being in the just build, build, build to accommodate a notion that there's a housing shortage and what the, um, what is, excuse me, I almost started naming names, what is stated as needing houses um, by the state versus the state's own auditors coming back and, and uh, coming forth and saying, no, our numbers are different and we don't believe the numbers that have been presented are needed. Again, that's the California State Auditor's Office. The, um, out of the White House, their numbers in regards to what is needed for housing doesn't jibe with uh, what we're being told is needed for housing build here in the state of California. My point being, it's a lot of new construction that uh, we, will uh, we will continue to lose the greenery, urban forest, however you want to call it, vegetation needed to help assist us in reducing greenhouse gases for the sake of some of the profits by the, by the construction and the building. The, um, again, my opinion based upon information that is public, it's just not me just pulling this out of the air. And the fervor of to which, yes, build, 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 to me, I'm like, present all of the information. So I'm making more of a, uh, have made more of a statement than uh, asked a question outside of the, um, uh, the, I'll go to the question, uh, back to the, the reducing of lanes for VMT reduction is the thought, but we already know there's additional freeway and highway lanes that have been built and are being built. So uh, Commissioner Caden had asked, well, this presentation is built on hope that certain criteria is met, if uh, paraphrasing um, from what you were uh, stating. So again, this presentation, kind of like it was, uh, what was that, a year ago in regards to um, the uh, GPU update on, um, it was a gut feeling of what, actual words, you guys can watch the meeting, a gut feeling of what should be done 
versus based uh, totally on statistics and data that were, were available to us. But thank you, Chair. Thank you, Commissioner Boyd. I appreciate all of the comments made here today. Commissioners, any additional questions or comments for staff? Does staff want to respond to any of Commissioner Boyd's comments? I would say unless there's a direct question, we're happy to respond to any direct questions, but otherwise we've been taking out a line, we're taking notes. Appreciate it, Commissioner. Thank you. Um, appreciate the work by staff. This is a massive effort. Um, uh, thank you for recognizing all of your team and everyone that put time and effort into this. Uh, we look forward to hearing updates going forward. I think some the commissioners here raised some really good points and questions in terms of affordability, in terms of choice, in terms of feasibility. What we're doing here, what we're proposing, is sustainable for all of Sac all of everybody in Sacramento. Um, and I trust that you all will take our our comments and notes here um, and that. And with that, unless there are, oh, I'm sorry, Commissioner Chase. Uh, thank you, Chair. Um, just wanted to, uh, I, I certainly agree with a lot of the points that Commissioner Boyd brought up. Um, you know, we, we've got a lot of challenges ahead of us over the next 20 years, so no question about that. Um, I'd like to just add a little bit of optimism as we move forward, though, I think. Um, I'm originally from Boston, lived in New York City for a while, went to architecture school there, uh, lived in Boston for four years without owning a car. Uh, and then moved to Los Angeles. Oh my God, you know, culture shock. Uh, took forever and worked in a lot of projects. I lived there for 20 years. And of course, LA, well, back in the 80s, decided to, uh, 70s, to start doing subway systems. And, you know, I'm, you know, everyone's thought, including me, wow, way too little, way too late, way too, it's never going to work. Uh, it's happened. The ridership is amazing now. It's really, really high. And I've got to go down on business and I've tr taken it. So, I'm hopeful, even though we've got a long way to go, with, with certainly with our uh, RT and our public transportation in this city, uh, it can happen, and I sure hope it does. We all need to work toward it, so thank you, Chair. Thank you. Well, well put. Thank you, Commissioner Chase. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Uh, there are no further uh, questions or comments from commissioners. I uh, appreciate your time, staff. And now we will move on to... Commissioner, comments. Um, commissioners, do you have any ideas or questions you'd like to bring forth to the body today? Hearing and seeing none, we'll move on to public comments. Um, clerk, are there any members of the public who wish to speak on public comments matters not on the agenda? Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Chair. I have no speaker slips from those in chambers, and I have no hands raised online. Like we may have had one person late. Um, it, it's, it's late, but would you mind filling out the form and um, coming to speak, and then we can fill out the form afterwards. Sorry about that. First time. Welcome. Speaker, long-time listener. A um, couple of comments. I wasn't planning on saying anything, but um, happy to be here. I wanted to respond to a few things and just talk to some things that weren't on the agenda. But um, first of all, in relation to um, a little bit the Climate Action Plan, but also just in general. Uh, I think it would be really great uh, if the Planning Commission would consider um, directing staff or developing some kind of uh, direction for the city to have uh, specifically prioritized trees uh, in their transportation plans. Uh, there have been a couple that have gone through Active Transportation Commission, and I think there have been a couple that have come through here, and uh, what they hear a lot at Active Transportation Commission and in public uh, comment when they go out are, hey, we want trees, where are these going to go? And the response is always, 
this isn't the process, we'll put them in later when it gets to construction documents, and that just never works. Um, so just something I'd like to you know, think about. There are a lot of opportunities, like bulb outs uh, for parking spots where trees can go, a lot of cool things. Um, <clears throat> I would like to respond just briefly. There, there are 200 and, or well, 330 million Americans, and only 230 of them have uh, driver's licenses. So there's 100 million of us that don't uh, for disability reasons, um, for you know, just getting too old to drive, for lots of reasons. So um, I think you were both saying the same thing in terms of you know, <laughs> compact, infill. This needs to happen. FAR of 4.0, like mixed use, needs to happen at all of these high frequency transit stops. Like this, it's not a question. I think we're all agreeing that this should be a thing. So I'd really love to see like concise direction from this group to, to make that happen. And an FAR of 2.0 citywide would be really amazing because as much as there may be, I guess, disagreement about federal numbers, if anybody wants to take a walk outside, there is a housing shortage. And like it's very apparent within a block. So I would welcome any of you to come do that with me. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your comments. No more speakers. Thank you very much. Um, well, that concludes today's meeting and agenda, and we stand adjourned at 7.58 p.m. Thanks, everybody. Have a good night.